0: Welcome back to the Verbatim Word Podcast, where we seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. You're listening to a bonus episode between seasons two and three. We started last week in a clip called Safe, taken from a recording of a sermon I preached back in 2017 when I was filling the pulpit, as we were looking at the story in Mark chapter six with the disciples in the boat in the storm. And we saw that often God will call us out in obedience, and it seems very unsafe, but we're doing it with the Lord. This time we move forward in the story as we look at uh, getting stuck. Sometimes we feel like we're stuck in the same place, doing the same thing over and over again, and yet God will move us beyond that in his perfect timing. We're supposed to remain obedient, we press on, we uh, take up strength, we keep doing the things, we remain faithful in the little things, but it can feel like long seasons. I think of someone like Joseph in prison or Moses in the wilderness, many years doing the same thing, but they're doing what God has asked them to do, doing the last thing God called them to do, not moving on out of impatience or just out of some whim to do something new, not changing it up for their own sake, but doing it because, well, God called them to do it. And so in those seasons of hard obedience, this message might be encouraging to us. We go back to the archives and we look at this, uh, this episode in these verses in Mark chapter six. In an unsafe world, we can find our refuge and safety in him. And we start to realize that every time we run to other things to put our safety and security in those things, they're never safe and they're never secure. And God, being gracious and compassionate and loving, continually brings us back time and time again through our circumstances or through revelation or through rebukes or through reminders. I am the only one who can make you safe. And by submitting yourself to my will and my leading and obeying the word of God, those are the only things that can keep you safe. We are never safer than when we are obeying and doing the will of God. We are never safer than we are obeying the commands of God, whether they be in his word for all of us or whether they be something specific that he has spoken to you or to I in the quietness of our own hearts. Now, walking with him in obedience will not always feel safe because we walk by faith and not by sight. Here's the case in point. The disciples are obeying specific commands of Jesus. But as we read on, he leads them into a seemingly unsafe place. Let's read verses 46 or the first part of verse 50 in Mark chapter 6. It says, And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. These men, these disciples, are doing exactly what Jesus told them. They got in the boat, and they went to the other side. If they'd been arguing with other, at some point Jesus won the arm wrestling match, and they got in that boat and their head to the other side. In the middle of obedience to their Lord, they're caught up in this bad situation. Now, you know storms happen often on the Sea of Galilee. You had the cool weather coming in from the Mediterranean, you had the dry weather coming in from the desert, and they would mix over the sea in a seemingly very tumultuous place, and storms would arise sometimes with very, very little warning. These men are now caught in one of these storms, storms they've been in like this before, as fishermen there on this sea, but they seem to be staying in one place. It's the fourth watch of the night. We're talking, it's almost morning. Light's gonna break forth soon. And they're still there in the same place. They're worn down and they're tired. You've heard the phrase before, against the wind, going against the wind. And if you've ever done anything where you're heading into the wind, it's frustrating and difficult when you're headed straight into the wind. As I mentioned earlier, I did grow up in, the, in, the, in Hawaii in the island of Maui. And something that we did for sport growing up was Hawaiian outrigger canoe racing. So the way this sport goes is you've got an outrigger canoe, it's about 40 feet long, and you've got six people in this canoe. Off to the side, you've got the little um, float, but you go through and you go on these races. And so I was probably about 10 years old, 8 to 10 years old somewhere, and we were doing a race one day, and it was a long-distance race. And so me and my crew, we were in here, there were six of us, all between the ages of probably about 8 to 12 years old. And this race, this particular day, was a long-distance race. So I think it was about 6 to 7 miles. And so we started off, and things were okay, And you know, you kind of pace yourself a little bit. But at some point the wind came up. And in Hawaii, we're known for having the trade winds that around ten o'clock in the morning the winds start to pick up and they blow consistently throughout the day and it keeps the temperature kind of nice and nice and cool. And as we started going, these trade winds picked up and they picked up and they picked up. And this day the trade winds were kind of strong, and we basically were heading straight into the wind. And I remember the frustration as we were paddling with our really, really big 8 to 12 year old muscles and biceps. As we were paddling through, it seemed like we were going nowhere. In fact, we could look back on the shore and see that we were not progressing at all. Well, as we kept persevering and pushing through in this, the wind kept going, and the shore started getting farther and farther away. We realized we were drifting out to sea and we were going nowhere. My parents and a few of our other parents were kind of falling along the shoreline in their trucks and vehicles watching as we progressed, and all of a sudden started realizing we were not progressing anywhere. In fact, they saw us starting to get smaller and smaller, and they realized that this was not a good thing. Now, paddling in the Pacific Ocean is a little bit different than, say, paddling at Lake Hefner, because if you get blown out, there's no other shore to get to. Your next stop is Tahiti or New Zealand or somewhere along those lines. If you heard about some, uh, two people set out for sale about five months ago from Hawaii and just showed up this week, and there's some controversy around what really happened during that. But our next stop was going to be Tahiti if we didn't do anything. So my parents drove to the end of the finish line where there was a Coast Guard station there. They actually had to get the Coast Guard and convince the Coast Guard that we were blowing out to sea, and they were trying to get them to uh, sign all these papers before they would release the boats and like, get in there now, our kids are going to disappear. It took the Coast Guard 30 minutes to get to where we were located. That's how far out we got. I know what it's like to be going into the wind and feeling like you're going nowhere, literally on the water. Now maybe you've never had an ocean experience like that, but you've probably felt that way in life at some point, where you feel like you're not getting anywhere, like life has somehow just stopped, that you seem to be stuck in the same place. This same story is in Matthew chapter 14 and in verse 24 it says they were they were being tossed by the waves. They were being tossed in the water. You're staying in one place, but at the same time you're being rocked left and right, and you don't seem to be moving anywhere. Can you imagine the anxiety that must have been rising up in the hearts of these disciples as they're stuck now at the fourth watch of the night and they're going nowhere? What if we met, never make it across? Jesus told us to get to the other side. We're failing now. We're not getting anywhere. What if we never meet up with Jesus again and he finds new disciples? What if my cell phone battery dies and I need a charger? All these anxious thoughts that would just be really rocking the, these disciples in the middle of the night. Did Jesus really send them forward to stand still? Did Jesus really fo- send them forward in order to feel like they were stuck? to have no forward movement, no forward gains, these men were going forth in obedience to what Jesus had commanded him, and yet they seem to be stuck. They can't seem to move. Perhaps you've been there before. You're doing what God told you, and yet life doesn't seem to be moving anywhere. There's no decisions to make. There's no options that you have. There seem to be no open doors. I've seen and known this many times. I feel like this was one of my constant feelings and situations when I was in the mission field for all those years. I was doing what God was telling me to do, and I, wear, I was where God told me what I was supposed to be doing, but it seemed like nothing was really happening. The slow growth of a church plant, the bouts of depression where the season would keep, uh, seem to continue and go on and on, for me, many years I was single, the longing for a spouse, and nothing would seem to happen. I remember New Year's Eve was often really, really hard, because New Year's Eve is kind of like this reflection, yay, it's a new year, and you would kind of look back and see all the things God would do in the last year, and I remember looking back oftentimes in the last year and feeling like I am in the exact same place that I was a year ago. The church doesn't seem to be any bigger, I'm still not married, and I'm still really, really depressed and really struggling in life. And Lord, what are you doing? I'm doing what I, you've called me to do, and yet I seem to be stuck. I have a friend that you know, is really, really close to my wife and I, and we've known her since she was a teenager, and she got saved, and she's, uh, she's grown as a, a woman of God now. And yet she's been in kind of a long season of feeling like she's been stuck. In fact, I, I see it sometimes like, like she feels like she's tethered. You know, when you tether maybe a a, a pet or an animal and you put that stick in the ground and there's that rope, but they can only go a certain distance and no matter how much they want to, they can't really get away. And there's just this small area, this small sphere that they have freedom to move in. Well, our friend has kind of been in this place feeling stuck for a long time. She's a, a faithful woman of God. She loves Jesus. She reads his word. She serves him. But her life and circumstances of life, she seems to be stuck sometimes. Now, one key component of that is that she's helping take care of her grandmother. Her grandmother's gotten older. Mentally, her grandmother's begun to go. Physically, she's gotten a little weaker. And yet she knows that she's called and the Lord has asked her to serve and to care for her unbelieving grandmother. And in some ways, that circumstance and that obedience has her stuck. She's got nowhere to go. And yet she wrestles with this sometimes. She wrote me this the other day because she actually feels like she's come to a breakthrough recently. I'm gonna quote some of the things that she wrote me. She said, I was praying one time and I felt like God gave me a picture. It was me standing on top of a hill looking into a promised land. Something new, a sense of freedom and the land was filled with color which is the opposite of what I've been feeling for so long Like my life had been in black and gray and my head under a heavy cloud and in prison. I was in the word sometime after that, and God had led me to these verses. And she quotes some verses from Genesis chapter 11. It says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. When they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and then he died in Haran the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And she continues writing. She says, it was like God opened my eyes. I never saw this before, that God called Abraham to the promised land after his father had died. And it just made so much sense Or I knew that after I was done taking care of my grandma, God would do something new. And she began sharing just this hope that was starting to rise as some things are starting to happen with her grandmother, and it looks like the season of caring for her may come to an end soon, uh, as the, the needs of her grandmother are no longer under her control, and she may have to entrust that care to someone else. But she started talking about a few things even in her life, some opportunities that are starting to pop up on the horizon. And she wrote a little bit more, and she said, let me just say that God has really broken me in this season it's been so powerful i've never known god like i know him now i've never been so close to him i feel like i have a new relationship with him and i don't know what i was doing before also i don't make assumptions only according to what i hear i pray for god to give me a word also from the scriptures i want to be careful how i tread the path my desire has been to walk so closely to god that i can't misstep falling close behind it's so wonderful to watch people on the edge of a breakthrough who have been tethered for so long, who start wondering in the midst of that darkness, Lord, it is the fourth watch of the night. I've been continuing and faithfully going in the same direction, and it doesn't seem to come anywhere. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces Patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In our minds, sometimes we think, Lord, I'm stuck. It's the fourth hour of the night, and I'm going nowhere. And yet God is always doing something as you feel stuck, and you're not moving forward. I can just imagine the workout that these disciples had. The way their muscles and their biceps and their triceps were bulging the next morning because they were paddling and continuing on in that boat because they did not give up. Now of course the temptation would be to change course on your own. But these men, they never turned back because Jesus told them to go in one direction and they set their course in that direction and did not go from it. Now I do want to say something on the side. It is possible sometimes to feel uh, tethered, to feel stuck, to feel like you're in one place, and you're going, and you're going, and nothing seems to be happening, and it may actually not be the will of God. It may be because of your personal disobedience, or your sin. I think of the story of Jonah, who was told to go in a certain direction. Instead, he went the opposite direction. And they got into a storm and were not going anywhere. And the ship began to break apart. So they threw him off into the sea, and he was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights. Didn't seem to be going anywhere. He thought he was going to rot there. And it wasn't until he repented, and the, the fish spit him up on the shore and basically hit reset and said, Are you ready to repent? Are you ready to start over? God will give you a second chance. And we do need to take inventory. If we are in a place where we repeatedly feel like we're not moving forward, where things are not changing, we need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, am I in your will? Let me think back to the last thing you told me. Am I still doing that? Have I heard the voice of God? Am I in complete obedience? Then yes, Lord, I will continue until I see that promised land. But there's other times we're ignoring the voice of God that says, you're stuck because I'm not blessing your life right now you're not moving forward, you are in a storm, you are in a trial because you chose to be here. And I will come to you, I will meet you there, I will calm that storm, but we need to reset things first. Who's in charge and what does he want you to do? In the book of Acts, Peter later would preach to the crowd in Acts chapter three, and he would say, repent, that times of refreshing may come. Sometimes we are tired, we are exhausted, we're not going anywhere because we're actually in sin. And the Lord would say, repent, so that times of refreshing may come. I want the wind to stop blowing against you. Later on, when Saul repents on the road to Damascus, he says, why do you kick against the goads? Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the will of God? Why are you stuck in this place, and why are you fighting against the very one who is calling you into obedience and to a life of submission? Mm-hmm. It can be frustrating to be stuck in the same place regardless of the circumstances. There's a blessing in being there when God's God's called us to be there and we usually see that in hindsight why he was so gracious in keeping us from moving forward into another season too soon. But there's other times where we're stuck because well, we've put ourselves there. God would love us to get the lesson right and move on, but we're stuck. I've mentioned many times that we teach part-time at an online school and we're a mastery-based school. So one of those things is if a student has not performed well, we can give it back to them for a retry, give them some feedback, point them in the right direction to resources and let them take it again because we want them to get the concepts before moving on. Well, I have some students who will do assignments over and over and over and over and over and over again, sometimes five, six, seven retries, and sometimes they're simple things like quizzes with two questions, reading comprehension questions. They're taking them seven times with two questions. I mean, odds, statistically, you're bound to get it right if you just keep randomly choosing, but they're not. And it can be frustrating for the student, and it can be frustrating for me as the instructor who has to go back, look at their coursework, provide them feedback, hit reset again on something that is so clear. I just want to shout and give them the answer and say, choose A, choose B, let's move on with life. But I can't because I've got to let them struggle a little bit and work through it and get their critical thinking in gear so they can choose the right answers and move forward. I wonder if it's the same with God, where he gives us feedback. He says, you're doing it wrong again. Nope, not that way. Nope, that's not the one. And he gives us feedback time and time again. He's a faithful teacher. He's a good father. He will rebuke us. He will chasten us. He will scourge us, even if he has to, to get us to move in the right direction. But we're stubborn. We're ignoring it. We're distracted. Think about it right now. Are there things that God is nudging in our hearts, saying, hey, this is the right answer? This is the way. Walk in it. But out of our disobedience or our stubbornness or even our fear, we're actually stuck because, well, we're stuck. We're stuck in that place because we've not taken the steps forward. May we repent of that today. And when we say, Lord, you know, you are right. Forgive me for being wrong. Let's start this anew. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning, that your faithfulness is great, Lord. And we know that sometimes we have done the same things over and over again. We've been hard-hearted. We've been failed to repent. We've ignored the leading your spirit, Lord. And we've seen the results in our lives. And Lord, we confess that. And we trust that your ways are good. Your ways are right. Your ways are proven. And we desire to walk in your ways. So Lord, help us to become unstuck. May we repent, May we receive the forgiveness of the cross of Jesus Christ. May we be restored, and may we be filled afresh with your Holy Spirit to walk in obedience in the things that are too hard for us to do in our flesh, but are possible to do by your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.